the Pegtop mug, P-E-G-T-O-P, mug was created, a special drinking vessel which mixes your drink without a spoon. And so there came an idea from a problem that she saw, a self-stirring cup. And so now you know that this idea came about because here was a woman that saw a problem and she saw that something could be done about it and she decided to fix the problem. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning is not so much about the idea of what this woman did, but the concept of the stirring. Because you and I know that a stirring in a cup per se is when you put all the ingredients into the cup, you put your Milo, you put your coffee, you put your milk, sugar, whatever it may be, the only way to get the full flavor from that drink, you have to stir the drink. Chemistry involves stirring. And I want to, I want to uh, uh, speak to you for a few moments and say to you that God advances His kingdom through people and the people whom He can stir in His house. Stirring is an important component all through the Word of God. God stirs people. God challenges people. We just took an offering. In that offering, God will stir our hearts. God will take His mechanism, His spoon, which is called the Holy Spirit, and start messing with you. Start making you feel a little uncomfortable. Start uh, uh, challenging your faith, saying, you know what, you need to be doing more per se. God will start causing you to feel the urge and feel the compelling to rise up and do more for Him because there's a stirring. You know, many of you know we went to uh, Langkawi a few weeks ago and while we were there, um, you know, someone asked my wife, I, I don't know which sister asked my wife, say, y'all went for three days. No, we went for five days straight. <laughs> She's like, five days? <laughs> and so the, the thing is, what do you do for five days, right? Right? <laughs> you just sit. <laughs> you just sit and do nothing. Really, you just don't do any. You take a book, you sit, you read, and you read, and you just enjoy the serenity without both the kids. But my point is, by the end of the week, I was hitting Thursday, and I told Yen, I was sitting by the, we were sitting by the pool, and I was telling, I feel like a bum. <laughs> like I'm doing nothing. I can't go on like this. Life has to have something more than just sitting around. How many know that? And so I was stirred inside. I was like, no, I got to come back and work. I got to come back and do something. You just can't say, your heart gets stirred to do something. And so I want to talk to you about God stirring this morning and preach to you a sermon I've called, The Stirring. Because in all truth and honesty, if you study God's Word enough, you understand that God is always challenging us. 
God is like a coach to his students. This week, uh, uh, most of you know my son has been so interested in football. So there was a game that happened this week, Manchester United and somebody else. And so the coach, uh, halfway through the game, called on Cristiano Ronaldo to come back in. And so he said, time's out. Uh, time, time, time out, you need to come back, half time, you need to come in. And this guy got off the pitch and he had this attitude with him. I don't know if you saw it, but he had this attitude, he threw his sweater, you know, you know, and all the, you know, and all of that. You know, can I tell you, God does that to us sometimes, to stir us. He says, time's up, come in, come in, come in, come in. You know what, you've been going too long with that attitude, come here. Come here. And, and he begins to call us in. He begins to stir us. And our attitude to that correction, our attitude to that stirring matters. But that's how God develops us. That's how God challenges us. That's how God takes us from point A to point B. That's how God grows us by stirring us and causing our hearts to be stirred because it is in the stirring that your faith gets increased. The story that we're about to read symbolizes this point. In fact, this message came during our time of fasting and prayer. And uh, I was so stirred by what I read in that, that I want to present and minister this to you. Because I believe this morning, if there's nothing else you hear me say, because if you're going to go to sleep just after I say this, <laughs> then, then, but the truth is, listen to the statement, behind every miracle, is a stirring. Behind every miracle lies the stirring of the heart. Before God can do a miracle, God will stir your heart. John chapter 5, I want you to look at this with me. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water to be moved or for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever diseases he had. The miracle lies in the stirring of the heart. Here's a picture of a multitude who waited by the porch. They waited for the waters to be stirred. They waited day in and day out. They waited at a period of time. They came to the same place. They looked and they were keen in one thing, that I will leave the temple. I will leave the synagogue. I will leave this place not the same again. I came in, I came in paralyzed. I came in with an infirmity. I came in with a problem. I came in sick. I came in in bondage. But I will leave today. So every day they walked to the temple hoping something will change 
expecting there will be a difference, expecting a shift to take place, expecting something to take place, beloved. And every day they came with this expectation. And I say to you, they desired this so much so that they sat by the stairs watching the pool, hoping when the time came, it was their time for a miracle. They became a candidate. They became a recipient of a miracle. No matter what their conditions were, blind, lame, paralyzed, sick, the stirring represented hope. Principally, God does the same for you and I. He stirs our hearts in areas of our lives. I thank God for this church. I tell you with all sincerity because there are people, there are men and women, you in this congregation, times when you have been challenged, when you have been brought to a place of stirring, have responded to God and it is in this place when God can stir you, when God can cause your heart to be challenged and moved, when you can respond to that stirring, that that becomes the hope for a breakthrough and a miracle. Exodus 36 verses 2, I want you to observe God's character all through here. The Bible says in Exodus 36 2, Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, whose heart was stirred. God stirs. Ezra chapter 1 verses 5, Then the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirit God had moved, all whose spirit God had moved, which represents stirring. God stirred. God moved them. God moved them. Judges 13.25, And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Again, stirred. And Mahane, then between Zorah and Estol. Haggai chapter 1 verses 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. So you see, it isn't foreign this morning. That when we come to church, God challenges us. God stirs us. Maybe as you come to church, you hear a message and God begins to stir you to read your Bible more. Maybe God begins to stir you to do more for His kingdom. Maybe God stirs you about a character or even an attitude that needs to be changed when you're at the office. God stirs you. God doesn't let you sit without feeling compelled to change. Why does He do that? Why does God mess with us? Why does God, you know, we talk about the mug that, you know, drink it like Milo Dinosaur. Right? You have the milk and then throw all the powder on top. Don't mix it. No, but why does he mix it? Why does he stir it? Why does he do that? Because when you stir, it brings the best out of us. God wants to do more than meets the eye in our life. So the, he messes with us. He stirs us because he wants us to break free. He doesn't want us to remain bound. 
He doesn't want us to stay stuck. These were people who came with their infirmities. They were paralyzed. They were deaf. They were lame. They were incapable. And many of them came day in and day out. Whether someone brought them on a stretcher, maybe they pushed them in. Maybe they carried them on their back and brought them day in and day out. They expected something to happen. And that stirring of the water represented the hope that today something can change. So I say to you before I go any further, don't disdain or push away when God stirs your heart. When God challenges you to do more, when God challenges you to pray, when God stirs you to witness to a colleague or to a neighbor, when God stirs your heart and says, you know what, you you, you see that person, you see that burden, do something. I remember years ago when I was on my way home from India, there was a boy, my name was Suraj. It was a ver- one of the very first times that my heart was so burdened by what I saw. This is a young boy who was born into a family where his father and mother, in fact, they were not even married. And so the father ran away the moment this boy was born. This boy uh, began to live with his mother, grew up with his mother. But at a very young age, this boy had a condition. And what happened is they took him into the doctor and when they took him in, they uh, began to uh, put too much oxygen into his body that it affected his system to the degree this boy became blind, completely lost his sight. And so he's a six, five, six-year-old boy. And I remember looking at this young boy and I'm reminded of my son, Jeremy. This was years ago when I was in Delhi. When God showed me this, I tell you, beloved, I begin to feel for this boy a burden. I went back to my room that night, the first night I saw this boy. He's in church. I saw this boy and I, I began to weep. I couldn't sleep. Just burdened, moved by compassion, feeling, God, what can I do for this boy? I remember getting on the plane, I came back home, I'm crying all the way, I'm weeping, I'm weeping. My heart is tender, it's broken. I know the story. And I remember coming to my wife, I said, you know what, can we adapt him? Just take him in. And I remember we, you know, obviously documentation, so on and so forth. But, but I, it was a moment of burden. God uses burdens to stir us. God causes us to feel burdened about something. To stir us, to move us. Today that young boy is a grown-up. I think he's maybe 13, 14 years old maybe. Playing the drums in church. A disciple living for God. Still blind, but I tell you the guy is fired up for God. Praying. Suraj is his name. I'm telling you, beloved, God will give us burdens to stir us. So when you look at this passage as we bring this down, (laughs) who am I kidding? Long way to go. I got 25 pages. I'm only on page number two. Three things you got to highlight here. Number one, there were components you have to identify 
that represented the stirring. Number one, every stirring involves a specific place. There's a reason why God put us in church. There's a reason why God begins to place us in a very specific place because God wants to work on your life, not short term, but on a long-term basis. And when God sees that there is a place, the Bible says in verses 2, now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool. It was specific. It was a sheep gate by a pool. God was very particular. We've always heard it said that the will of God has geographic coordinates. There's always location. There's a place. There's a specificity of it. And I say to you that these people were in the right place. They were there where they could potentially receive their miracle. You see, this is the issue today. We get offended maybe. We get upset by the preaching maybe. We begin to feel like, you know what? Oh, we are always challenged maybe. And so we feel, God, how much you want me to be stirred and challenged. And we run from that place. When God is saying, I want to bless you. That's why I'm stirring you. That's why I'm challenging you. That's why I'm compelling you. That's why I'm convicting you. Put any name on it. God stirs in specific places. When you come to church, you hear a sermon on prayer. It's a challenge that you would pray. When you come to church, you hear a sermon on witnessing. It's a challenge that you would witness. And some people will get stirred. The second thing you find here, the Bible says in verses 4, an angel went down at a certain time. Timing matters to God. There's a time where the angel went down. How many know that there are moments of sensitive, a giving, sensitivity in giving. There are time-sensitive moments. And when you respond at the right time, when you do it at the right time, at the right, you heard last night the movie, the man said it so precisely. You know, when God gives you a destination, He doesn't change your destination. The time to get to the destination may get delayed, but you'll still get to the destination. How many know that? In other words, you're in the car and you're on GPS, you want to get down to KLCC from here, and you get into the car and the, and the GPS says, take a left. But instead of taking a left, you take a right. Now, your destination doesn't change. But what does the GPS do? It recalculates and says, okay, now you were going to get there in five minutes, but now your time increases seven minutes. How many know that when God challenges us, there's time sensitivity to it, that God stirs you for that period of God stirs you at that moment. God stirs you in that season of time because He is ready to bless you. But many times when we refute that stirring, we miss the blessing. That is not a legalism, uh, not a legalistic command or statement, but a truth that God wants His people to obey Him. The third thing you find in this passage is an angel that went down. God uses people around us. God used a messenger to stir the water. This is where God begins to align us 
with those components. I begin to think about it. There's always a place, there's always a time, and there's always a messenger involved. God stirs His people that way. I came into church when I was 13 years old, and I can tell you God ordained that we came to this congregation. We, come to, we came to this church. We came to this fellowship. God saved us in this fellowship. And that was a specific place. And in that specific place, it was a service that I attended, that the pastor was preaching, and he challenged young men to preach the gospel. He challenged young men to rise up and do something for God. I was there. I was in that service. It was a time sensitivity moment. And I felt stirred. God dealt with my heart. God said, I'm calling you. And it was a man of God who challenged me. I remember Pastor Dillard, my very first sermon in 2002, said, you, 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 you want to preach? Write me a sermon. Show me. Uh, so I remember my first sermon I wrote, You Must Be Born Again. I remember. I tell you, beloved, if I look at the sermon today, I, I, <laughs> it was bad. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, was, it was horrible. He was gracious to me. He said, oh, good job, Gregory. Wow, good job, man. But I wrote the whole sermon, I think in five pages, paragraph, no points. like a story. But you know what? That inspired me. He brought correction. He brought direction, stirred me. And I say to you, the Holy Spirit can be that person. The man of God can be that person. A parent can be that person that stirs us. But why is the stirring necessary? Why does God even do this? Because when you are stirred, it reveals faith. The people who were there on that day, when they saw the water being stirred, they had faith that I can get healed. There was faith. Faith was involved. There was also a desperation for God. When you are stirred, you begin to respond. And you say, you know what? I'm desperate for God. I cannot ignore God dealing with my heart. It also reveals obedience. So let's talk then about dismissing the stirring because what it does when you dismiss it is you delay the breakthrough of God in your life. God cannot, what God cannot stir, God cannot change. Amen. Amen. What God cannot stir, God cannot change. If God cannot stir your heart, He cannot change your heart. If God cannot stir who you are, He cannot change who you are. Who God can stir is Him whom God can change. The miracle, as I said from the beginning, always comes after the stirring. Because the stirring involves faith, obedience, and desperation. How many know when you have a three-layer tea? Huh, brother? Srawak three-layer tea? You mix it. Right? It comes with the gulam laka, comes with the condensed milk, it comes with the tea. Right, right, right? It comes in three layers. Why are you looking at me like you never tried a three-layer tea? I'll buy you all three-layer tea. <laughs> never seen a three-layer tea? Oh my gosh. 
Oh my goodness, I'll have it up on, your, on screen when you come the next time so you know what a Trilete is. But anyway, a Trilete is this drink that, you know, has all this... But how many know? Okay, bubble tea. Right? right? You have the sugar at the bottom. Bunch of non-Malay. But anyway, what it does is you mix it to get the best flavour. And can I say to you, beloved, your life can only get more and more fulfilling when God can stir you up to do more for Him. You realize, my gosh, I can... Wow, what has God done in my life? What has God achieved in my life? You see, the angel stirred the water and immaterial of how uncomfortable it may have felt, their response, their response at that moment, the people at the staircase could have just sat there and said, you know what, forget it. I'm tired. I've been coming for one year. No miracle. They can complain. They can murmur. They can sit there. They can procrastinate. How many know what I'm talking about? They could have just sat there. When the angel stirred the water up, they could have just said, you know what, I'm not... Other people will get it. I won't get my marriage. You, you've, you've, heard, you've heard people get so negative and cynical and pessimistic. It's not for me. I'm never going to have any breakthrough. I'm never going to have any marriage. I'm never going to see God move. I'm never going to experience the power of God. They talk so much. I'm never going to experience. And they become so cynical about it. When it gets uncomfortable, God's telling you, you need to respond. The danger is when you no longer feel conviction. The danger is when you no longer feel stirred or compelled. Their response was the key to the miracle. I was reading a book by Chip and Dan Heath, uh, a switch and in this book they spoke about a company that uh, they called the Glove Shrine. That's not the name of the company, but they had a code name, a tag name, uh, the Glove Shrine. And what the Glove Shrine was is that there were purchasers in the company that would go and buy gloves from seventeen different vendors. And so what would happen is because they buy them from 17 different vendors, the prices of these gloves would literally fluctuate because no one controls them. No one knows the exact quality of the gloves. And so what happened is there was an intern that came in, a young man who began to experience uh, uh, what was going on and he, exp he explained to the manager, look, if we would simply put something in place, if we would simply begin to take in account and, 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 and refocus and realign our, our, uh, uh, our way moving forward, we can save 1 billion US dollars in a span of 5 years. No doubt, the managers were not willing to change. They decided to focus on work gloves. They continued to go on forward. And they were buying from all different types of vendors, 424 different types of gloves. And the worst part is, there were some gloves of equal quality being sold at $5 and some being sold at $17. could have made this case, negotiated with the purchaser, 
put a price tag on it. And he began to create this idea and he said, it's important that we start getting all the samples of this glove come in and fix a price on it because it can save the company $1 billion. But needless to say, the company wasn't keen because the reality is they saw this as too much of a task and we don't want to mess up and be stirred in our management or in our organization. Can I tell you, sometimes we push away God's stirring because it takes too much work in our lives. And we refuse it because we think, oh, it's too much, you know, uh, uh, too much inventory to take into account, too much, you know, investigative journalism or journaling to go to, too much of information to pry into. But we fail to assess that the risk or rather the, the benefit outweighs the labor. So many times we feel stirred and that's exactly how we feel. We feel, God, why? Why why you want to stir me, God? Why? Why you want to interrupt my peaceful life? The truth is because God has something greater. God has something better. God has more for us. So in the midst of the multitude, let's get ready to close here. There isn't a doubt where there are many who simply came that day, accepting their condition. No more hope, no more future, no more looking forward to what can change in life. And in proportion to the many that were healed, listen to me, we read the story and we know that there were a multitude of people that entered the pool. They were all healed. Those who entered when they were stirred. But can I say to you, beloved, there were also many who remained in bondage, who, who left the same way they came that day. Their response will always trigger God's involvement. God gets involved with those who are sensitive to His stirring. The church world is filled with many who are stirred. They know, they know, beloved. Listen to me very carefully. We, we don't live, you know, in a time where we have no clue what God is dealing with us about. We know, we know the Word of God. We have the knowledge. We know what needs to, we know God has stirred us. We know, but the reality is they simply refuse to respond. They rob themselves. Can you imagine there are people seated there, maybe they've lost hope. They said, I've tried it before. Never worked. It's never going to happen. Bro, 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 listen, listen. Just accept your condition. This is how you're going to be for the rest of your life. Nothing's ever going to change. This is, you, this is who you are. You're a loser. We're all sick. We're all, you know, uh, 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 we, we all have infirmity. None of us can ever recover. There's no such thing. Some have refused to respond. John 5, 5 through 9, as we close here, I promise you I'm trying to close. He says in this passage, now, certain, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that 
condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him. Look, look, at, the, look at the response of this man. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So the symbolism, listen very carefully as I connect them both right here. The symbolism of the pool being stirred is made real to us through Jesus who stirred the heart of a man that was sitting there. So we may not have the pool. Maybe the pool is the church for you where you come and God is stirring and God says, this is where you come to the altar. You make decisions. You begin to pray. You respond. You say, you know what? My heart is stirred. I need to do something for God. And so there is this corporate stirring where everyone who's seated there experiences some type of stirring in the heart. But here, God goes to this man and just as he goes to him, God says, what's up? What's wrong? And he responds saying, you know what? It's unfair. I can't get into the pool. Everyone else can. I can't. My life is so bad. My life is horrible. You don't understand my background. You don't understand where I come from. You don't understand my culture. You don't understand my family. You don't understand this. You don't understand that. He's wallowing in his own sympathy. And Jesus says, Poor thing. Come, come. Remember, he didn't say that. He said, come on, man, rise up. Take up your bed and walk. You know what God was saying? God was stirring his heart. You want to stay like that? You can stay like that all you want, but I'm stirring you. And God, how does God stir us? Through his word. When you read his word, he doesn't tell you to sit passively. He calls us to a challenge to do greater things for God. God doesn't allow us or compel us to sit and, 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 and give an excuse, Jack, this is man, this is inevitable. We just saw that story about the widow and she could have told Elijah, do you not know I don't have anything? Do you not realize that? But what was God doing? Stirring her. With his word, he was stirring. He was trying to get beyond that thick outward of a heart to say, listen, I am stronger, greater, mightier than what you have in life. And if you just listen to what I'm saying, you will see me working in your life. See how many times, Sometimes God never gets personal like that with us. Sometimes God just says, forget it, you don't want it, up to you, I'll find someone else. God will just look for someone else to bless. God will just look for someone else to heal. God will just look for someone else to give a breakthrough. God will look for someone else to give a miracle to. But thank God for His grace. Can I make a statement to you, beloved? If we're not careful, our excuses, our excuses can diminish God's stirring in our lives. We can put it away. Oh, I can't do it. 
I'm not strong enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not capable enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not gifted enough. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Jesus nullifies this excuse by getting up personal with this man and saying, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Does God have to do that to us? Does God have to come up to us and say, Hello? Didn't you hear your pastor preach? Maybe he won't say that. I, 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 <laughs> he'll say, maybe he'll say, you know, Didn't you know that I'm stirring you while he was saying something? Didn't you feel the stirring? What do you want me to tell you? How do you want me to show you? And for some people, he gets really personal with us. Do you remember the story of Saul in the Bible? It's so fascinating. He commanded people to come and fight in the battle. And people were so re, 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 uh, 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 resistant to the idea. They said, no, we, 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 we are not going to fight. You know what? Get your own people to come. And so what Paul does is he takes a head uh, of someone. He begins to chop their head off. He takes the head to them. He says, if you don't join me in fighting, this is what's going to happen to you. And you know what happened? Everybody joined in. And sometimes God has to say, you know what, if you don't do this, I'm going to stop blessing you. I don't make, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to move for you. You see, that man had a decision that day. He could have said, I'm going to rise up and walk. Or he could have continued to pacify himself and say, you know what, you're too hard. You don't understand what I'm going through. The choice is ours. You see, God's grace makes, causes God to get personal with us. God speaks to you in your prayer time. Not only in church, right? You know that, right? God doesn't, you know, yes, the pool is present. God is stirring you. Come to church, the pastor preaches, he challenges you, he stirs you, he tells you, you can, you know. It, it's like this is our battleground. We go back this week, we fight our battle spiritually, stay right, stay righteous before God. Then God speaks to us. But how many times God, instead of giving us a hotel breakfast, a buffet, He has to give us in-room service, dining. How many know what I'm talking about? He has to get very personal with you. Like, hello? Didn't you get it? Don't you understand? I'm sending you alarm bells that are going off. I'm stirring you. How personal must God get with us so we will respond? What must God do to get our attention this morning? You see, God is stirring our hearts to seek Him because He intends to be found. Responding to the stirring is vital. And I'm done here, beloved. Just give me two more minutes. If we are going to experience God, we must respond to God's stirring. So the question is, what has God been stirring you about? A character? A behavior? An attitude? What has God been stirring you about? It is an impossibility that you can sit here and say, I've not been feeling God stir. Uncomfortable, Pastor? It's impossible. 
I make a statement to you, God's stirring is God's maturing element. How does God mature people? By stirring them. He never lets us sit for too long comfortably. He stirs us. He stirs us. It is through His stirring that we learn to step out in faith. The question is, why do I not feel stirred? Why do I not sense God stirring? In all my years of ministry, beloved, I've seen this to be true. Every time a person responds, there's always a miracle. Every time a person responds, there's always a miracle. Be sensitive to the stirring. If you've lost that, you need to say, God, make me sensitive once again. Never let me grow so old, you know, and callous. You know, when your skin, gets when your skin is dead, you feel nothing. Don't let my heart become callous. But let me be sensitive to your stirring. Number two, don't push that stirring away. When God deals with you, don't say, I'll do it another day. I'll do it another time. No, God is doing it right now because He wants your response right now. Number three, act upon it. Do something. There's a young man who was heading home from a Bible study on a Wednesday night. He just heard from his pastor, they were talking about a, a lesson on God speaking. And so as this, as this man was heading home, he pondered this thought, does God really still speak to people? So after, after that evening session, he went home, he went, sorry, he went to the coffee house, was having some coffee with a couple of friends, and after he had coffee, he was going to head home, and after that, he said, God, if you still speak, I want you to speak to me. He was compelled, he was challenged that he wanted a personal encounter with God. Oh, that God will give us people who desire to hear God in this generation. And he says, God, if you will speak, I will listen, I will do my best to obey. He drove down the street and for whatever reason, he felt this stirring in his heart to stop by a store and buy a gallon of milk. And so he decided, he shook his head, he said, God, is that you? The young man thought, Samuel, he heard from God, how can he, how did he recognize the voice of God? How little Samuel ran to Eli. Okay, God, he said, you know what, if this is it, that your story, I don't know why you're telling me, I don't know why I feel compelled, I don't know why I feel it, I'll just go and buy a gallon of milk. Fair enough, I'll just go. So he walks into a store, he buys milk. And as he begins to buy that, he's driving past a street. Again, he felt the stirring. Turned down that street. He said, this is crazy. But again, as he was thinking about how outrageous that thought was, he couldn't shake it off. He responded. He went down that street. And then at the next intersection, he turned back, headed down the street. Half-jokingly, he says, okay, God, I will. Drove down several blocks. 
when suddenly he felt like he should stop. He stopped in front of a home, pulled over to the curb, looked around. He was in a semi-commercial area of town. It wasn't the best, but it was the worst. It wasn't even the worst of neighborhoods either. The businesses were closed. Most of the houses looked dark like the people were already in bed. And again he said, he sensed this urge in his heart, go and give the milk to the people in the house across the street. The young man looked at the house, it was dark. It looked like the people were either gone or they were already asleep. He started to open the door and then sat back in the car and said, Lord, this is insane. Those people are asleep and if I wake them up, they are going to be mad and I will look stupid. Again, he felt like he should go and give them milk. Finally, he opened the door. Okay, God, if this is you, I will go to the door and I will give them the milk. If you want me to look like a crazy person, okay, I will be obedient. He walked across the street. He rang the doorbell. He could hear some noise inside. A man's voice yelled out, Who is it? What do you want? The door opened before the young man could get away. The man was standing there in his jeans and t-shirt. He looked like he just got out of bed. He had a strange look on his face. He didn't seem to be happy to have some stranger standing at this doorstep. What is it? The young man thrust out the gallon of milk. Here, I brought this to you. The baby was crying. The man took the milk, rushed down a hall, speaking Spanish. Then from down the hall came a woman carrying the milk toward the kitchen. As the baby was crying, the man had tears streaming down his face. The man began speaking and half crying. He said, we were just praying. We had some big bills this month and we ran out of money. We didn't have any milk for our baby. I was just praying and asking God to show me how to get some milk. His wife in the kitchen yelled out, I asked him to send an angel with some. The young man reached into his wallet, pulled out the money he had, put it in the man's hand. He turned and walked towards his car. Tears were streaming down his face. He knew that God still speaks. God stirs us for people who are around us. Their salvation hinges. I say that again. Their salvation hinges on our response to God's stirring. I wonder if we all were sensitive to God. That if God stirred us to simply do it, to pray maybe, to fast, maybe to give. And if simply we stayed sensitive to God, who knows the miracles you will see this year. Because before every miracle, there is a stirring. Bow your heads with me. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed,